Happy February, everybody. So glad that you are here, whether that's in person or online. We've got three more weeks in this series that's all about relationships that we've called the fine lines because there are fine lines between experiencing great joy in relationship and great pain in relationship, right? And sometimes that happens in the same conversation. No? I'm the only one that's ever happened to? Okay, that's cool. I'm okay to be alone. We're going to be talking about honor culture today. Now, honor is one of those words that we don't use a lot in our world anymore because it's confusing. We really don't know what it means. So think of some of the things in our world today, in our culture, that we use honor around. We use the honor roll. It's not something you eat. It's something you do academically. Anybody ever been on the honor roll? You should be owning that thing. Like, yeah. I was on the honor roll until grade 12, and then I was like, I'm going to be a pastor. Why do I need to study? Oops. That was, that was fun. So we have the honor roll. We uh, sometimes, you know, if you're in the military and you do something incredible in combat, you receive a medal of honor as a, a memory, a moment to celebrate your sacrifice or to, you know, just signify some respect in some kind. We also have the honor guard. Anybody walked through an honor guard before? It's when people are there standing, you know, across from one another and you're supposed to walk like past them and they salute you or they cheer you or something like that. It's a moment of celebration. Sometimes that happens in weddings where you line up and you're, you're celebrating, you're giving honor. What we're talking about today is honor culture because there's a biblical precedent for what this looks like and what this could mean and how this could help us navigate all of our relationships and the challenges of our relationships when it comes to honor. I want to share three verses with you at the beginning of this talk that talk about honor from the Bible. Probably the most famous is this from Exodus. Chapter 20, verse 12, honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land your Lord God is giving you. Honor your father and mother. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Maybe it was used in an abusive statement, like, you better honor your father and mother. Maybe it was used in an encouragement statement, you never know. Here's the second one, God saying to his people, from Exodus 23, verse 14, each year you must celebrate three festivals in my honor. So this expectation that they're going to gather together as a big community and celebrate in the honor of God. And lastly, from 1 Samuel, therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I promised that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priests, but I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think lightly of me. That's a potent statement regarding honor. So where does honor fit into our relationships and our culture? We're going to unpack that even a little bit more. If you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to dive with me into the book of Philippians. Chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 30. If you don't have, a, don't have a Bible and you're here today and you really want one, you can do one of two things. On your mobile device, you can download the, the Version Bible app. It's my favorite Bible reading app. And every single Sunday, we have a little section, Sea Road Live. You can follow along on the sermon notes from that, that app. And you can use it throughout the week as well, which is awesome. Or you can find one of our staff team after the service. We would love to gift you one. Now, if you're like Jason... 
I've got a Bible, but there's somebody in my family or somebody in my workplace or somebody in my neighborhood that would love one. Come see us. We have them. We're going to gift them to you, and you can go and gift them to those in your circle that are looking and craving for the Word of God. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 25 all the way through verse 30. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you. For I know you will be glad to see him. And then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him with Christian love and with great joy. And give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Interesting little snippet from the life of Paul. This is the guy who's writing this letter. But we're going to give a little kind of background and context for this whole letter of Philippians. And we'll get specifically back to this portion of this letter and, and unpack the relationship that Paul and Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus had with one another. Now, Paul was writing to this church in the city called Philippi. It was the first place in Europe that he himself landed when he was on his missionary journeys to spread the gospel. I've got a photo here kind of giving you a visual reference of what that could have looked like. So Paul grew up in the, the bottom right-hand corner, you know, where you, you're reading about Jerusalem, Jaffa, Caesarea. That's kind of his, his backyard area that he was really familiar with. And if you can notice where Philippi is, it's at the top of that that screenshot, that top of that image, it is a lot of miles away from Jerusalem. So he would have had to hop on a boat at some point in time, whether it was from Caesarea and, and float all the way up to Philippi, or if he would have made his way around the, the horn, so to speak, and then hop a boat to cross a stream there. This is the Mediterranean Sea. The Mediterranean Sea is a little bit bigger than Lake Ontario, okay? So it's a massive distance away. This being the first place and environment that Paul landed and was sort of the gospel was welcomed. This is the place where one of the first churches on the missionary journey that Paul was on sprung to life. You can read about that in the book of Acts. I believe it's Acts 16, 17, and 18. You can read a little bit more about this specific formation of this church. So needless to say, this had a special place in Paul's heart. You always remember something that you experienced for the very first time. I remember the very first time I got on an airplane flying from Western Canada to Ontario to see my, my grandparents. I was the kid, the eight-year-old kid on the back of the plane when we were taking off that did the woohoo. I still do that on planes today. Every single time we take off, it's amazing. I cheer louder, louder though when we land. I don't know what that's all about. Wonderful thing. So Paul had this intimate connection with this group of people. Paul, when he's writing this letter, happens to be in prison. And they, they would have known that Paul was not only in prison, but that his physical health had started to fade a little bit. And at one point in time, they probably would have, would have maybe thought 
that Paul was actually going to die. So this small church, Philippi, they sent a representative to go be with Paul, an advocate, an ambassador, in order to express some kind of honor in their relationship. That guy ended up being Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus sent on this mission to go and be with Paul. Now here's what's really interesting about Paul and Epaphroditus and their relationship. This is the only snapshot in the entirety of scripture that we can see about their brotherly connection. Right here in chapter two, and then there's another reference later on in the book of Philippians about their relationship. But I will tell you this. If you go into deep waters with somebody, relationally, you're having a lot more connection than just a few verses described. Paul would have been somebody that was struggling with his health. And we also know that Epaphroditus, upon visiting Paul, struggled with his health as well. To the point where Paul was concerned that Epaphroditus was going to die and Paul was going to survive. And he didn't want to be the last man standing in that scenario. So I'm sure they had a lot of different conversations about leadership, about love, about faith, about women, about you name it, brother to brother in that intimate space, that intimate connection. In fact, there's a word that Paul uses when he is encouraging the Philippian church to receive Epaphroditus back into their community. He says, make sure you do so with honor. Honor. If you think about our relationships today, I think we do a poor job at expressing honor to one another because we don't understand what honor means. And so I want to give you three tips from this biblical text and this framework that I believe speak specifically to what it means to create a culture of honor relationally in all of the relationships that we have. Parent, child, grandparent, grandchild, neighbor to neighbor, coworker to coworker, peer to peer, sibling to sibling, and so forth. We can create an honor of culture if we follow these, these guidelines on how to do so. Here's the first one. Honorable people take a genuine interest in the hopes and dreams of those around them. Honorable people take a genuine interest in the hopes and dreams of those around them. Here's why this is such a challenge for us in our culture today. Many of our relationships are associated on things that we do together, things that we've experienced together, and there's no substance or very little substance beyond there. I can name the teammates that I had in high school basketball. Jeremy, Frank, James, a whole bunch of them. But we have not stayed connected from high school all the way now up and into our 40s. Not because we didn't want to, but we did not have that catalytic thing to help us stay connected with one another. Honorable people in their relationships find a way to take a genuine interest in the hopes and the dreams of those around them. This is what I think Paul and Epaphroditus would have experienced in their close connection while they both were recovering from health challenges. 
I think Paul would have taken a genuine interest in Epaphroditus, this young emerging leader who had a whole bunch of energy and passion and desire, who was willing to risk his life, get on a boat, follow to where Paul was imprisoned at the time, risk his life, get all kinds of challenging things along the way that he would have to navigate, like where are you going? Imagine immigration back in that day. It's immigration with a dude with a sword. That's who you're talking to. It's not just immigration with a dude behind a glass, you know, shield of some kind. It's a challenging environment and situation. I'm sure Epaphroditus would have had hopes and dreams about his life. Maybe, maybe he had a crush on a girl and he was, he was talking to Paul about how do I express my love to this individual whenever I get to go home, if I get to go home. Maybe he came with some leadership challenges and said, you know what, Paul, you know, this group of people in Philippi, I know you love them, but man, they stink sometimes. They're always telling me what I'm not good at. How do I help them grow? How do I help them mature? How do I help them have a soft heart and not a hardened heart? How do I help them change? And I think that the text infers to us that Paul had this kind of honorable relationship with Epaphroditus because he's not only listening to him, but at the end of their time together, he sends him back to the place that he wants to be. He sends them back to Philippi. He could have said, hey, why don't you, why don't you stay with me because I need somebody to keep me company while I'm in prison. He could have said that. And he was Paul. Maybe Epaphroditus would have been like, okay, because Paul, you were asking me and you're my hero, somebody I look up to, maybe I'll stay with you. But no, Paul took a genuine interest in the formation and the development of Epaphroditus who gets sent back to the community and he becomes the, the letter carrier he takes this letter that we call Philippians back into the community, these words of Paul, and he becomes an ambassador and an advocate and a communicator in that space. As church history unfolds outside of the biblical narrative that we're aware of, we, we now discover that Epaphroditus was a key figure in the formation of the first century church in that region. He would have become like what we would call today maybe a network leader or a bishop. Somebody that looked over not at just one congregation, but multiple congregations. And I got to believe that at somewhere along the line, there, there was this intimate conversation or number of conversations that he and Paul had about a dream or a calling that he had on his life. And Paul took a genuine interest. And far too often in our relationships, when the person across from us in that relationship is sharing something with us about a hope and a dream, we're looking for ways to tell them how that's not realistic instead of actually taking a genuine interest in their dream. If we're going to be an honorable person, if we're going to build an honorable culture, we've got to learn how to take a genuine interest in the hopes and dreams of others. I've got two sons who love this video game called Rocket League. Rocket League is a hybrid video game between soccer and car racing. I've played it one time and I almost threw up. <laughs> Spinning too crazy for me. I didn't know what was going on. These guys invest a lot of hours becoming experts at this game. There's a young adult in our church who plays with my kids online this game Rocket League every once in a while pops in and they have a match together and even though my boys tell me that this young adult isn't as good as they are 
They're super excited that somebody has a genuine interest in their dream to be professional Rocket League players. I have yet to dash that dream. I've been biting my tongue. And so when Cannon or Declan comes and says, hey, guess what? I got this new gear for my car. It's going to help me with this boost, and I'm going to score this goal, and this, and this, and this. And I'm like, I don't understand a word that you are saying, but man, I love that you're talking to me. Can we create that space in our lives for the people around us where they don't stop talking to us because they understand that we've, we actually don't care what they're talking about? Can we be honorable instead and look to, to foster and create a genuine interest in their hope and in their dream? You do not know the future. We know how our world ends. Jesus comes back and those of us who are followers of Christ will spend eternity with him in heaven. That's amazing. We know that part. But we don't know from now until then how our story is going to unfold, how the story of somebody around us is going to unfold. And so we have a role to play, an invitation to be a part of building this honorable culture that fans into flame God-given dreams. Imagine if Paul would have told Epaphroditus, dude, get out of leadership. Don't do it. Don't be a pastor. Don't be somebody that people look up to. Just be in it for yourself. Epaphroditus wouldn't have went on to be a key figure in the formation of the early church in his region at that time. Think about your life. Think about your life. If I didn't have specific people fanning into flame a dream that I might have had, I wouldn't be here today. People who took a genuine interest not only in my dream, but also in me. Guys like Dan and Mark and Matt and countless others like Fred who would pray for me. If we're going to be an honorable people, relationally, we've got to learn how to take a genuine interest in the hopes and the dreams of those around us. But that's not the only thing. Here's the next thing that we can do as honorable people trying to create an honorable culture in our relationships. That was the cue. <laughs> relationships are seasonal. Relationships are seasonal. Here's what we need to understand. All relationships have great times. All relationships have difficult times. Just like we have different seasons in nature, we have different seasons in our relationship, including our relationship with God. Sometimes it's going to feel like we're in a spring season where everything's new and fresh and stuff is bursting forth to life and it's amazing. Or maybe we're in a summer season and everything is awesome. Every day is exactly the same, just filled with sunshine and rainbows and daisies and even unicorns. And it's amazing. And then we're going to enter a fall season and things start to die. Or a winter season and we're in hibernation mode. And we're like, are things ever going to come back to life again? We have to understand that all relationships, including our relationship with God, is seasonal in nature. There are going to be times where it's easy and times when it's difficult. 
That's the difference between a relationship and a prescription. There are two kind of train tracks that I think every single relationship runs on. Proximity and affinity. The things that we have in common with one another, affinity and proximity, who's right around us. Our strongest relationships will have both of those train tracks, those factors involved. Our weakest ones will have one or none of those involved. It is possible for us to have relational connection with somebody that lives on the other side of the world. That is true. But it's going to be very hard for us to create layers of intimacy and deep connection and even honorable culture when we only talk to each other once, twice a year, once a month, once every other year, whatever our rhythm of connection might be because we aren't around one another. If you take that same sort of mindset and principle and overlay it into our relational connection with God or our emerging relational connection with God, it functions in the same way. The book of James says it like this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If we're spending time with Jesus, getting to know who he is, understand who he is, we celebrated communion today which is representative of the ultimate relational invitation that essentially says this, however you are, in whatever condition you might find yourself, just come to me and I will make you whole. I will meet your needs. I will help you navigate the trauma and the pain and the confusion and the frustration and the uncertainty that are a part of your life. I will help you understand the way that you are made and help you come to grips with knowing that you have been made exactly the way I wanted you to be made. Your flaws are actually beautiful, not a detriment. The challenge is sometimes we don't feel like we can be close to God because we've done this or we said this or we are doing this. And that couldn't be further from the truth. If we're willing to run after Jesus and a deepening connection with him, he meets us not only halfway, he runs towards us as well. Relationships are seasonal, so there'll be times where it's easy to stay connected to God and one another, and times when it's extremely difficult. That's why we need to build habits of this honorable culture. That's why we need to learn, okay, I feel like I'm drifting from this person. What is it that I can do? Are you taking a genuine interest in their hopes and in their dreams? If the answer is no, then that's why you've drifted. If the answer is maybe, you got to explore that further. Maybe it starts with like, hey, we used to be close. Why, why are we so distant right now? Steve Barker was a friend of mine in college. We were like buddies and brothers in arms. We did a bunch of ministry stuff together uh, early on in these formative years. And we, we sweared to one another that we're going to be for, together forever as best buddies. Well, we haven't talked in years I reached out to him after one of these gaps, and I was like, Steve, man, we used to be close. What's up with that? And he talked to me about relationships being seasonal. He's still in ministry. He loves Jesus. He loves his family, loves his wife. He's like, Jason, man, being friends with you in college was amazing. 
It was awesome. I really enjoyed it. And we've just drifted because now I need to be relationally present right where I am, where I am and so do you right where you are. Doesn't mean I don't care about you or I don't love you or this, that, or the other. It just means we're in different spaces and that's okay. Sometimes we can read something like that or we can have that kind of conversation and we're like, oh my goodness, rejection again, yay! Woo! It's not about that. It's about understanding the ever-evolving nature of every single relationship. Those of you who are grandparents and parents have maybe already experienced what it's like to launch one of your kids or your grandkids into the future outside of your household. And there are those of you who are desperately praying you will get that opportunity to launch that kid that won't leave your home into the future or some other place. Just launch them. The relational dynamic, it changes. Have we ever ever had the privilege of being in a relationship with somebody for like a, a one-week period of time on a mission trip or going to camp? You understand you can create a level of connection and intimacy and whatever around that experience, but then it can fade or it can change outside of that experience. So whether you are friends with an individual for 20 minutes or for 20 years, every single relationship is seasonal. And embracing the season that you are in in the moment will help you navigate that relationship. So if you're like, Jason, I feel like I'm in a season where, where God has just allowed me to hibernate. We've been in winter for way too long. Winter does not last forever. As a Western Canadian, I can declare that with 100% certainty. Winter does not last forever. Spring is on the horizon. That just might not mean tomorrow. It might not mean today. But at some point in time, spring is coming. Don't lose hope. Keep learning. Keep growing. Relationships are seasonal. Here's the third thing. I think if we can do this really well, this will help us understand and build an honorable culture. I think we have to learn to kind of celebrate faithfulness a little bit more. Sebastian, can you put that one up for me, bud? If we can acknowledge faithfulness regularly, I think that would be extremely, extremely beneficial. See, we, years or months ago, Jamie, Jamie had preached a sermon and he used this phrase that he said, we celebrate what we advocate. Meaning that we celebrate the things that are important to us. Faithfulness is not one of the things that we celebrate in our culture. We celebrate what? Having your cake and eating it too. We celebrate diversity. We celebrate freedom of choice. We celebrate and, and respect the right to choose and, and a whole bunch of different things. We very rarely celebrate faithfulness. I can speak to you as a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, okay? I get mocked mercilessly that my team in its 100-plus year history has only ever won a maximum of two playoff rounds. The last time they won the Stanley Cup, the rounds of playoffs weren't four rounds, there were two rounds, 1967. Beyond that, they've moved from two rounds to now four rounds. So in the 
complete history of this team that I follow and have devoted my fanship towards. This team has only won a maximum of two playoff rounds every playoff season. And you wonder why we can't get out of the first round now. I get mocked for that. I get belittled for that. Some of you love to send me fun emojis and whatnot, and I fire right back. Some of you think you are insane. Why would you be faithful to that? And the reality is some of us think that about other people's marriages, their job situation, their style of parenting. How many of us have had that conversation? Can you believe that so-and-so parent their kids like that? Oh, my word. If I was them, I would do this, this, and this. Meanwhile, your kids are creating anarchy. See, I think if we can shift to acknowledging faithfulness regularly, we're going to understand what it means to build a culture of honor. In these few verses from Philippians, what we get a glimpse of is Paul's heart of the faithfulness of Epaphroditus. He speaks to it. He says, he, he was willing to be your representative to come see me, even though he would have to put his life at risk. That's a faithfulness to the calling, to the leadership, to the, to the experience and the moment that God had invited him into. He spoke to that. He spoke to his faithfulness in, in Epaphroditus' desire to go back to Philippi and reconnect with that community. That didn't waver. He wasn't like, well, now that I'm here, what are we going to do here? Let's, let's forget about those people over there and let's recreate all of our relationships. Because relationships are seasonal. What if we could find ways to acknowledge faithfulness regularly? Celebrating things like milestones, natural built-in ones, anniversaries. That's a great thing. In the recovery element of our society, we do this exceptionally well. Celebrating days of sobriety, years of sobriety. That's amazing. One year, 10 years, 15 years, 10 days, 17 days, whatever it ends up being, we celebrate that and we should. What if we did this even more? What if we had this kind of weird, awkward conversation to one of our friends in our friendship circle and we said, thank you for being a faithful friend to me. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because maybe they just had you for, you know, roast dinner a few moments ago. But if we do this, we can speak into the lives of people that we actually care about and say, this is what I appreciate about you. If we did this regularly, that is what it means to build a culture of honor. That's going to be countercultural because instead of building faithfulness regularly, we build a culture of criticism way too easily. And if we're going to try to learn to navigate all of the tensions relationally, I think we need this, this tool, this habit in our back pocket. Understanding that it could be the key to unlock layers of growth and intimacy relationally that we have yet to experience. If you're experiencing tension in your marriage right now, why don't you have a conversation about how much you've appreciated the faithfulness of your partner? And if part of that tension is because faithfulness has been absent 
in your relationship, maybe dig another layer deeper and find the courage to go and seek somebody out, a coach, a relational coach, a counselor that can help you navigate through that turbulent moment because this can be rebuilt. I'd love to stand here and tell you that I've been 100% faithful in my relationship with Jesus. I have not. And neither have you. All of us deviate off the road of faithfulness at one point in time. But guess what? Jesus looks at us and what does he celebrate? The faithfulness, the return to him. He doesn't, he doesn't have me return to him and then say, okay, now that you're back, here's the list of items that you suck at. <laughs> he doesn't do that. But we do it to one another all the time. We've got to resist that urge. If we're going to build a culture of honor, resist that urge. Where do we go with this, Jason? Here's my challenge to you today. In the next few moments and throughout this week and maybe years ahead, can you identify three relationships in your life where you take a genuine interest in their hopes and their dreams? Where you understand that things are seasonal and where you can acknowledge faithfulness. Do you have that present in your life relationally? If not, the good news is it can be built. Say, when Jesus looks at us, he does not see what we are missing. He sees what he can make whole. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel. The gospel is simply this. God loved us so infinitely much that he took everything that he had, put it out on the table and said, okay, I choose you. Whether you're going to run away, whether you're going to stay close, I choose you. And all we need to do is take the seat at the table that he has invited us to be a part of. It's that simple. It's understanding that Jesus, Jesus' ultimate sacrifice of offering his life up for us was a penal substitution, big fancy expression for a willingness to stand in the gap, to take all the punishment that we rightfully deserve relationally so that we can enjoy the benefits of an unfractured relationship, a restored relationship. Jesus was the innovator of creating an honorable culture. He builds that with us. He's the bridge. He is the ambassador between us and our creator. And now he invites us to do the exact same thing, to build honorable culture with the people around us. So what I want you to do right now, whether you've got your phone or, or something else to write on, I want you to think about that challenge are there three people in my life right now that I can readily identify? We've had conversations in not the distant past, but the recent past where I've taken a genuine interest in their dreams and in their hopes and in their desires. Write their names down. If the answer is blank, if you're going like, oh my goodness, man, what a cool opportunity to change the trajectory of all of your relational connections by putting that as the foundation. 
Then if you're really brave, it's, it's going through your relational inventory and going, okay, which relationships are in a season of spring, summer, fall, or winter? And what am I learning in each one of those? And lastly, how can I fan into flame and acknowledge the elements of faithfulness around me in some way? I think if we can do that, we will not only be able to walk the fine lines, but we will be able to navigate successfully with the power of God's spirit alive in us, all of the relational challenges and tensions that emerge in our society, whether that's from our own household or from other elements around us. With the help of Jesus, we can build an honor of culture. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the invitation that we see in the life of Paul and Paul and Epaphroditus. This weird five-verse kind of overview of this seemingly un, unimportant relational connection. And yet when we dive deeper and when we understand the elements of what is going on, we can, we can recognize that there's something bigger at play here. So, Father, when I think about the relational health and well-being of myself and everybody gathered in this space and those that are listening online, whether that's live online or later in a delayed capacity, I know that you are inviting us, those who claim to be followers of you, to be people that build honorable culture relationally wherever we go. And so I pray in Jesus' name that you would allow us to identify people in our lives where we're doing this well with and people in our lives where we have room to grow. And that you'd give us opportunities to grow in both of those things and yet also celebrate where we see your activity of developing a culture of honor when it comes to our relationships. Father, I recognize that's a big ask because relationships are the most thrilling and the most frustrating things that can be a part of our lives as a human being. So may your peace and your gentleness and your kindness guide us forward. May your face shine upon us. May you bless and protect us. May you give us your favor. Relationally, Jesus, your favor, so that we can build the kinds of relationships that point to a risen king who never gives up, who never gives in, and never runs away from tough situations. Father, this is our heart's cry, and today we declare that with one another. This is the kingdom that you are building, filled with honorable relationships at its core. May you move us to be who you've created us to be. We pray this in your name. Amen.